Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Chris Shelby and Dr. Weish Coleman of Willis Knighton Eye Institute about cataract surgery and all kinds of other ways to help you see better. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show as always. And as a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down before making your call. The number is 318-219-4569 and you'll see it across the bottom of your screen throughout the show. Thanks again so much for being here. We always appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yep, we always enjoy it. Sure, Dr. Shelby and Dr. Coleman. In case no one knows, I doubt there's anyone here that doesn't realize exactly who you are, doctors, and so we really appreciate it. So listen, what are we going to focus on today? Well, you know, we always like to talk about cataracts and answer some questions on that. The, you know, another topic that I was going to discuss, because I think it may be beneficial to people watching, is some articles in the press lately about LASIK. I mentioned it this morning yeah. that there's, after, you know, 25 years and 25 million procedures performed in the United States, well, LASIK is well known to be the safest, most effective elective procedure created in the history of the world. At some point, the government decided that LASIK is bad and that there's all sorts of problems with it. So, you know, basically, there's been some hit pieces that written that say there's a lot of complications with LASIK. You know, from our standpoint, that's false. What's and, the basis of that? Has there been examples? You know, most of it is historical stuff of problems with it. I think that the panel that they convened for this was in 2008 who was interviewing people, you know, the complication rate with every procedure goes down. LASIK's been safe from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Relative to other elective procedures, it's gotten progressively better. So they convened this panel in 2008 and they said, well, we're going to bring in some people who've had problems. It's not like you can't have a problem with it. You know, there is a risk of vision loss. Worst thing you can do is blind and you lose the eye. I tell everybody I ever operate on that. With, with LASIK, that is ultra, ultra rare, something, you know, less than one in 50,000 or something like that. Now, Historically, you know, used to you would create a, a corneal flap for LASIK with a mechanical blade. Now we use exclusively lasers. Well, the thing is, there's still some of those mechanical blades out there, and there's some lasers that were made 25 years ago, and all LASIK isn't created equal from the standpoint of technology. So I think that it's what's being ignored in the equation is that technology's gotten a lot better. It took an already safe procedure and made it ultra safe there are still some places for the purpose of making a higher margin on the procedure that use very old technology. So I think it's a, it's, a, it's a point to encourage people to say, maybe don't take the cheapest option if you're gonna get something done to your eyes. Probably go with you know, some nice, relatively modern equipment and you have a very, very high probability of an excellent outcome. Which it really makes sense, and I'm sure we've talked about this before too, that these procedures only get better and better and safer and safer, which might require more expensive equipment, training. You know, so if it does cost more, there is a reason. You're really paying for that safer option. All of the education, all of the practices happen. Sure, and, and, and there's a ton of variables involved you know, yeah. in, in the equipment. Cause, and Dr. Coleman, <coughs> I don't think he's ever used the mechanical microkeratome because by the time he finished, we had the lasers available and the lasers we have now were better than the lasers we got initially and I remember doing LASIK initially using the keratones and th they were very well engineered pieces of machinery but they were machines and so there were certain complications that could happen in those situations that were terrifying to us as surgeons and could be terrifying to a patient and sure. but taking that out and, and I had knock on wood never had any problems you know but I'm very conscientious and that being said, there's other variables that, you know, most plane crashes aren't because the plane stopped working. It's usually pilot error. Right. And so how many hey. of these... Un 
Well, well we got to bring your plane here. crashes here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're still with us. You know, you're one of the few I think people. I should be I, personally offended by that. Yeah, well, no, you're, you're still one of the few people I've taken a shot at. I trust you. I'm sorry. To fly my family around. That's right. We trust you, pilot. Still, yeah, even to this day. So, but my my point in saying that is, is that not all surgeons are created equal either, and. You know, I mean, the reality is, is that nobody wants to talk about the pink elephant in the room, that when you go look at doing LASIK and you look for the cheapest guy in town, one of the reasons they're as cheap as they are is because, number one, their training may not be as good. Number two, I can tell you their equipment is not as good as what we have. The vast majority of it is a bait and switch anyway. And so uh, these patients that they've, they've interviewed, and of course there are some patients who are unhappy that, that didn't have the visual results they expected, you know. I mean, but that's true with anything. Yeah. You know, and this really goes back to what we talked about, too, with patient advocacy. I, mean, I know you and I have talked about that extensively, maybe even doing some discussions outside of Healthline 3 about patient advocacy. And, and does that fall into it, too? I mean, you not only research the process, and when it's a good time to talk about when a blanket statement is made over a process, you still have to go and find the doctor that you feel comfortable with too because that's a really good point it's not always the procedure it's the doctor in the office and where you're having it done right yeah there's some some three that i think we're basically pretty lucky in shreveport from the from a lasik consumer standpoint there are no non-modern lasik lasers in this town mm -hmm. they don't exist right every person who does lasik in shreveport has a modern piece of equipment does a good job now in bigger markets for whatever reason some lower end uh, bargain things exist with very old technology. And in other towns, for you know, I don't know why, Shreveport's a great place. You almost can't go wrong here. You know, wherever you get it done, it's probably gonna turn out very well. We do see people who end up going to Dallas or Baton Rouge or other places to get a, a low cost procedure and then they have a suboptimal result. You know, still you really don't see very many major problems. And I think the frustrating thing for us with these articles, there was one in the New York Times, I think MSN, if people Google LASIK, they're gonna run across it. I mean, I've already had people asking me about it, which is the reason I thought we should probably just bring it up. And Good. if there were people who had questions, call and ask about it. Um, that, you know, it makes no comparison to the risk of things, things like wearing contact lenses. You know, so the FDA goes and approves contact lenses for sleeping. About 99.6% of vision-threatening corneal infections are from sleeping in contact lenses. Should have never been approved for that purpose. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that's, that's a problem for sleeping in contacts. It's very dangerous. And if you sleep in your contacts, the, the risk of a vision-threatening complication, meaning that you permanently lose vision. We say, you know, lines of vision loss. You know, we read 2020, we say, if you, if you go down to 2030 or less, then that's two lines of vision loss. You know, the risk of that with LASIK, where you can't be corrected better than, say, 2030 if you started out at 2015, is, is something like two per thousand. So, you know, the probability of that having in both eyes is, is infinitesimally low. But if you sleep in your contacts with LASIK, the risk of two lines of vision loss um, is, uh, is greater than two per thousand every year. Wow. Mm -hmm. Every year that you do it. So one year of extended wear contact use is literally more dangerous than LASIK. Mm -hmm. uh, if you take them out at night and you don't sleep in them, then it's, it's, a, it's three years of contact use. So by comparison, it's, it's extremely safe. You know, nothing's perfect. Wearing glasses is the safest option. If you like your glasses, well, fair enough, wear your glasses. But yeah. they're kind of a crutch, and people don't tend to get as good a vision with glasses as they do with refractive surgery or contact lenses, which is what drives all that. Yeah, and it's such a relief when you have cataract surgery, any of the surgeries, you can see what better because you're 
anyone who wears glasses is afraid, what if I'm without them or what if I don't have them? It is a crutch and it's, it's scary to be somewhere and not have your glasses, not be able to read or see right. where you are. Talk about contact lenses just for a second about extended wear. If someone says, I don't sleep in them, but I work 24 seven, I work all the time. If you're, you don't go to sleep, but if you hit a certain point, 12, 14 hours, you've had your contacts in, is it a good idea? Not just you're not sleeping in them, but wearing them 24 hours, like to take them so out and put on your glasses. It's always a good idea. It's, it's even, not the actually just sleeping with them, but just having yeah. them in the. So the best contact lens, in, in our opinion, or my opinion, I'm sure he agrees with me, is the, the dailies. Yes, you know, you that's put it in I the morning, use. you take them out at night, you throw them away, yeah. and you put a whole new brand pair, a brand new pair in in the morning because you get protein deposits. You have to realize that, you know, contact lens technology is wonderful. It's a lot better than it used to be, but you have this foreign body sitting on the cornea and it's constantly moving. Every time you blink or you move your eye, it is constantly moving and it's creating these little microscopic abrasions that are healing up very rapidly. And there's some opportunistic infections that can happen where you get a microscopic abrasion and especially a pseudomonas infection happens and we've seen those eat through the cornea in 24 hours. You know? Oh my gosh. And so, and you're at much higher risk, even if you're soaking contacts overnight, you, know, you still have these little protein deposits and whatnot on there and you put them back in your eye. So that's why the risk of this goes up the longer you wear them and the more extended use it is. Yeah, I personally can say that. That's how I went to the dailies. I was getting eye infections every now and then, but then my doctor's like, just put you on the dailies, just throw it away. Mm -hmm. It is that on the go, you put them in there, you think sure. it's good, as you can't get them clean enough sometimes. You pop them in, you go, and um, so the dailies, I've never had a problem after that. Just throw them away and start yeah. fresh in the morning. And you know, some people d aren't a candidate for that <coughs> because they have a huge refractive error, right. a lot of astigmatism. At dailies, they don't even make them in, in some higher power. So those people have to use extended wear. But in general, I would say, don't ever sleep in your contacts. No matter what the box says, no matter what somebody tells you, never sleep in contacts. It's Russian roulette with your eyes. You know, you get away with it most of the time, but when you do get a bad infection, it can be a devastating thing that there's no coming back from. You know, I think we're a little bit jaded because in residency at LSU here, if, if people have a horrible contact lens associated infection, inevitably they end up with Dr. Reddins, the cornea specialist over there mm -hmm. who trained us both, and they, uh, we ended up taking care of a lot of those people. So you know, we, we don't like sleeping in contacts hourly drops it's a miserable i mean it's a miserable experience yeah. for the patient and and for us too you know on pins and needles making sure these patients do okay and so and like dr coleman said you know somebody once you get above a certain refractive error you know the more nearsighted a patient is or even farsighted the worse their vision is and so the contacts are going to be extended where they're not going to want to take them out you know because it's like well it's late you know if i gotta get up and go to the bathroom i don't know you know yeah. what i'm looking at mm -hmm. so this is double-edged sword and these poor patients are now reading this statement from the fda <coughs> thinking uh, and that oh it's not safe and look at this i mean it's just it's it's completely irresponsible of uh, the federal government to do that yeah you think of how many people are scared like you said, don't want to be without glasses or contacts. They are afraid. They're thinking this is good for them. Now they hear it's not healthy to do. That's frightening. Well, you know, I don't know if we worry too much. I think that um, the message is the government says LASIK is bad. Come on. Give us a call for LASIK. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have any questions today, be sure and call. Um, that's one of the things. I mean, to make yourself this available too. Anyone watching with any questions about especially this or any kind of questions about cataract surgery, your eyesight, ways to take care of it before you need um, any help or surgery. There's nothing like being able to talk to you directly. I know I've learned so much. Thank you so much. And so do you want to talk about cataract surgery or what would you like to everyone to know to get started? Yeah, yeah, let's dive into it. You know, I think the main advancements that we talk about a lot with cataract surgery is that, um, 
you know, now we have the ability to, to have LASIK-like results, you know. So we reference LASIK because it's, the, it's been the gold standard for a long time. People who had LASIK 25 years ago still see great today. We see them all the time in clinic, which was about when LASIK started. Um, and the results are excellent. You know, you have a very, very high probability of a perfect refractive outcome, being, meaning being free from glasses. So the last decade or so, most of the advancements in cataract surgery, the cataract surgery laser, more advanced measurements, intraoperative measurements that we take after the cataract's removed before the new lens implant goes in, and advancements in lens technology have, have worked. The goal has been to bring cataract surgery closer to the results that we've been able to achieve for a long time with LASIK. And so we've gotten there. That's why we end up with a lot of overlap now, because used to someone would come in if they wanted a very ac accurate result, LASIK was the go-to standard. As, as cataract surgery has gotten better and gotten safer, there's more overlap. So if somebody's in near the age gr a group of cataract surgery, you know, the average age is 69, if somebody's in their 60s, maybe even late 50s, has any degree of cataract, it may be a better solution to do cataract surgery, achieve the glasses independent result, you know, and make it permanent, where then at that point you don't need any other procedures done. We'd always rather solve it with one rather than two. So now a lot of people come in for a LASIK eval and we say, look, probably a more permanent solution and an equal or better solution from a visual outcome standpoint is just to do cataract surgery on you. Mm -hmm. And how do you diagnose cataracts? Is that something that's just generally done a test at the annual exam, or do I have to come in with like symptoms, or how do you how do you know? <coughs> Generally, patients will come in with the symptoms, you know, glare, <coughs> trouble reading small print, dim situations, but it's mainly that nighttime driving, you know, and usually it's during that uh, annual eye exam. We take a look and we can see it, you know. I mean, we dilate the eyes to look at the back, at the retina, but what we're also looking at is the lens, and it should be clear, and we begin to see the yellowish brown discoloration. And you're like, oh, okay, let's fix that. So do you have people coming in going, you know, I'm just not seeing, they don't think about cataracts. They might be thinking, I think my contacts need to be adjusted, or am I, is it just age? They might not even know about cataract surgery, but they're just having to think and they need an adjustment. And then you find out it's cataract. Oh, yeah, that's pretty common. Or if somebody comes in with like five pairs of glasses. Yeah. <laughs> stacks them and, yeah. and gets them all out so you can measure them. It says, Sorry. these don't work and those don't work and those don't work. Like, whoa, we yeah. better dilate you and look. Yeah, Let's look. do that first. Yeah, and then in the morning, these, these are good. In the afternoon, these are, yeah. It, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Is there a certain age range that this starts? You have, what's the youngest you've ever done cataract surgery? So I did oh. cataract <coughs> surgery on a 35 year old. Um, Thursday, you know, so it happens. No, he had diabetes, so it was a, it was a different situation. Yeah, that's the next question. Um, but usually, that people hit the the, the mid 60s is okay. generally that's that would be our average age population. Okay, we have a caller for you. All right, hi Ed, thanks for calling. What's your question? Uh, I had cataract surgery uh, by one of the doctors on screen, and it was a great surgery. But uh, now my eyes are beginning to uh, trend towards they were before the surgery. Uh, is this common? Well, short answer is yes. It's really common. And if we if we haven't done a laser on you for a secondary cataract, we call it a YAG laser. Um, that is likely what you need. Now, anytime somebody has decreased vision, we really want to look and make sure nothing else is going on that's unrelated to the cataract surgery. But a secondary cataract it is a super common problem, and that's just a film on the back of the lens implant that we place at the time of surgery. And about 50% of all people need to have that done within the first 10 years after the original cataract surgery. And, and they call it a, we call it a secondary cataract mainly because it mimics the symptoms of the original cataract in that you have general cloudiness, glare at night, 
So if we haven't done that, that would be the first move for sure. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, sorry. If you give right. us a call, we'll get you in quick and get that done. And that's that's a procedure that's done in the clinic. It takes about one minute. It's probably the safest procedure created in the history of ophthalmology. Um, and most people see better, you know, later that day. No restrictions afterwards or anything. And it's completely painless. Okay. Thank you, doctor. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling. Thank you so much for calling, Ed. And completely painless. That's what we talk about, the fear of having anything done yeah. on your eyes, too. That's a relief. Yeah, it's great. You know, a lot of stuff we do is, is nice and painless and you know, I tell patients there's two things in medicine that are completely painless. This is one of them. Not really sure what the other one is, but this is definitely one of them. <laughs> one of and them. it does. It literally takes 30 to 60 seconds. Patients generally walk out and they're like, wow, I can see better. Now, is there drops or something that you put in to deaden it, or why? how is it just completely painless? Is it, it, it depends. So, you know, the, the capsule bag, which is what we're lasering, because it's a living structure. So we take your lens out of that bag, clean it up really good, and put the new lens in there. <clears throat> well, that bag heals around it. And as it does, there's some redundancy because the lens we put in is much thinner. It'll create a little haze, you know, and that's why patients are like, wow, it's so great right afterwards. And then slowly over time, it's like, ah, the symptoms are coming back. That's why we call it a secondary cataract. Mm. So there's no nerve endings in the bag itself. And so we dilate the eye and that laser, we literally use like a can opener. So we can remove that, that thin capsule painlessly in just a few seconds and it falls into the back of the eye and kind of peels away and then they can see better. And it really makes sense that you might have a secondary cataract. I mean, this is your eyes, this is as long you use them constantly, and this is just how the body works as it gets older. And you think about back in the day when people just went without and just had this cloudy, cloudy vision because they thought they went to a certain age and that's just how it was. Well, you know, humans have been pretty motivated to try to solve this problem for a long time. Back in <coughs> ancient Egypt, they did what they called couching, where <coughs> you would take a, a hot wire, a very thin wire, and go through the cornea and then knock the lens off. So when somebody had a white cataract and they were blind by it, you would just go knock the whole lens out of the way. Now, sometimes that worked, sometimes it didn't. Uh, and, uh, but you know, people have been working, for it, working at it for a long time. Okay, we have call? Chief on the line for you. What's your question? Hey, this is Chief Red Elk. Dr. Shelby did uh, my eye surgery, I guess probably a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Man, they did an excellent job for me. It is amazing. I sell them everywhere. Glasses, these guys are fantastic. <laughs> Just do what the doctors tell you to do. Put the drops in. Don't go swimming. Don't be a fool. And you should get really good results. We're going to and put I you on the payroll. Appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate these guys. Dr. Shelby knows me. Absolutely. I've been up there a lot. Sure do. Thank you, Doc. You did a great job. Right, Chief, I, I appreciate that very much. You have a Merry Christmas. You too, Doc. Y'all have a good one. Yes, I, I, uh, Dr. Coleman, I haven't met you yet, but I'm sure you're an excellent gentleman, too. I'll, I'll try to live up to Dr. Shelby's standards. <laughs> it's hard, though. <laughs> He's great, too. Well, I really, really, really every day say thank God for Dr. Shelby and what he did for me. Thank you for calling. Good, that didn't get yeah. much better than that. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all have, have a good day now. You, you too. Right, thank you. Too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, well, that was wonderful. That was very nice. Yes. I, I, I did not call him beforehand and tell him to call. I okay, promise. Sure. I don't yeah, know if I believe it. <laughs> no, he's yeah. a great patient. He actually, I had to, we had to do a little PRK enhancement after cataract surgery, and he did just very, very well. And, and <laughs> I'm actually glad he called because with the lenses that we use, when we try to maximize distance or give that wide range of vision, 
you know, we understand statistically that a certain number of patients are going to fall outside the expected range of outcomes. You know, and so what that can do is cause a little disappointment. You know, it's like, well, my distance vision isn't as good as I thought it would be, or my near, you know, things are a little bit fuzzy. And so the first thing we do is that YAG laser. And then we'll carry them through, whether it's PRK or LASIK, you know, to get rid of any residual nearsightedness or astigmatism or farsightedness. And so we take a patient from, yeah, you have cataracts to the point where Chief was, where they're elated, they're very happy with their outcome, you know, so. That's just amazing. And you can hear the, this is a really good, also good way to hear. We talk about how happy they are how it's such a difference and how what a difference in lives you're making with this that people don't realize how good they can see and that's such a good example of do it go get this done because it's pretty remarkable yeah yeah and then sometimes they'll get one eye and they'll feel really great and then they'll come back and can't wait to get the second one right usually the case yeah yeah <coughs> sometimes people come in and say well, I don't know, I'm pretty nervous, I only want to have one eye done. Yeah. To which I say, fair enough, but let's go ahead and put you on the schedule for <laughs> the second one. <laughs> you know, it's you can cancel happen. if you want to, but you know, it's pretty rare to have somebody not be ready to get the other one done. It's yeah. such a dramatic difference. And how nice, I mean, that's, because it is very scary. We talk about how scary it is. Not only to have yeah. eye surgery, but it's so scary to think about losing your eyesight. You know, the easiest surgery is on somebody else, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. So, <laughs> I'm yeah. a big supporter of that. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I've said it before. My dad, who's a heart surgeon, used to say, "You know, it's all minor surgery unless it's on him. It's all major surgery." <laughs> you know, and so, and we're really sensitive to that. And and the girls, uh, our staff that works with us up at the eye surgery center, they're fantastic. You know, because most of the time is spent with them. And the minute a patient walks in, even to do the obligatory paperwork, they begin to feel at ease and at home, and you know, so. Which I think is a really good point too to talk about this opportunity to be talking about your whole team. And we'll get back to that in a minute, but we have Janet on the line for you. Hi, thanks for calling, what's your question? Yes, my husband has immacular degeneration. I'm wondering if there's anything can be done for that. So it really depends on what type. You know, macular degeneration is a tough problem because that's sort of a permanent change in the retina that tends to progressively get worse slowly over time. and. You know, it starts out usually with dry macular regeneration, which doesn't cause that much vision loss in most people, um, but it's, there's not much treatment for it. Then there's the wet type, where you have swelling and leaky blood vessels in the retina that causes you know, rapid vision loss that's severe, but there is good treatment for that. Um, you know, it's, if it's a question of what type he's got, you probably, we probably need to see him in the clinic. If he's already seeing one of the retina specialists in town, they're all good, there's, there's no bad choice there. Um, you know, if you don't have somebody looking at it, we'd be glad to take a look and give you some advice on where to go from that. Uh, macular degeneration is one of those diseases that there's still not a great answer for. There's not like a cure for it or anything like that. Um, and it usually does lead to some vision loss. There, there is a new uh, uh, drug that I think is in, in the FDA approval process now, who knows how long that'll take, to treat dry macular degeneration, but I, I don't know where it is in its progress at this point, but I, I know it's in the pipeline. Yes, sir. Well, another question, well, not question, I wanted to tell Dr. Christopher Shelby, he operated on me, PRK, and I am so grateful, and I know both of y'all are good doctors, and I'm proud that I went there. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for calling. Well, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much, and good luck to you and your husband. Well, this is just a Dr. Chris Shelby day. I mean, Shelby's getting all the yeah, way. Yeah, I know. Well, it's only fair. We well, had, I, I had you to time. myself yeah, last yeah, time, yeah, so right, you yeah. all, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. That's so nice. And then speaking of that, we were talking about your team, and you have several locations, and which is really unique about your practice and your team is doesn't matter. the. I mean, it's one thing to be in one location, have a great team and supportive when you walk in the door, but it's like this at every one of your locations, right? It we is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it should be. Yeah. That's the way we yeah. kind of engineered it. Yeah, but across the board, it. that's not easy, but it just comes naturally to you and your team. Mm -hmm. well, we got some pretty good people, mm -hmm. so yeah. and a lot of them have been there for a long time. And then I think it's a, a little bit, it, in some ways, it's easier because really the mainstay of what we do is cataract and refractive surgery. So it's, I think when you do a really huge range of things, of course, we see people for everything, but that's really our focus, especially mm -hmm. at the surgery center and stuff like that. So, you know, if a surgery center does, if you do a bunch of different things, it's hard to be as efficient as right. if you just do one thing primarily. Mm -hmm. That's not all we do. We do some other surgeries, but, you know, we, at, at our surgery center, we do about 100 cataracts a week. So they're very, you got to be efficient yeah. mm -hmm. or it's not going to get done. Yeah. So they, they're very good at getting people in and out. So the wait times are pretty low. We. We always shoot, our target's been for you know about a decade now to make sure that from the time you walk in the door for cataract surgery that you're out within three hours mm -hmm. um, you know, on the way home. And we typically achieve that you know, even if there's 30 or 35 cases in a day, still to keep it under three hours. Now LASIK's even faster than that. I did LASIK this morning. That's usually like an hour mm -hmm. from walk in to walk out. That's another good point about feeling good from you walk in the door. It's so efficient, it's clockwork. They do this all the time, you do a lot of them, but they know that everyone is individual. So that's another thing. You can walk in and everybody's really nice, but you're a little nervous about the way the process is. It's so efficient, that's the comforting feeling walking through the door. Yeah, I will say, I, you know, I get some complaints sometimes because of wait times in the clinic, and that becomes hard to predict because a lot of patients are complex. Some of them have already been operated on somewhere else. They're coming in for a second opinion. And there's two ways to run your clinic. You can say, I'm gonna see, see everybody on a real tight time schedule and bring them back to do all complex testing requires multiple visits if it were me and I was taking time out to go to a doctor's appointment I'd want to get it all done at once mm -hmm. and stay there as long as I need to so that's the way I run my clinic it doesn't work for everybody some people don't want to wait a long time but if anybody's watching and anybody's you know we play these in our waiting rooms so hopefully somebody will see it the, the my philosophy and I think Dr. Shelby's is too is Let's try to minimize the number of appointments yeah. and get the maximum amount of things done at the appointment, even if that takes a little bit longer. And we do a lot of pre-op testing for cataract surgery, so I, we get the comment a lot. I've never been seen so many pieces of equipment at an eye exam. Well, for cataract surgery, you really need to, to measure twice and cut once, so we're spending a pretty good bit of time and, and, and getting, uh, getting a lot of data to make the right decision before we do surgery. Yeah, we also try to make it to where the, the patients understand what's going on. Yeah. You know, because, and for cataract surgery, you know, that that's one of the things we do. But also, like Dr. Coleman said, we get a lot of complex cases that patients are frustrated because they don't understand what's going on. Right. And that takes some time to discuss what's going on. This is why this is happening. This is what can be done, if anything. Because even if they have some blurred vision and there's nothing we can do about it, if they understand why it's there, they feel better about what's going Absolutely. on. Absolutely, it's the fear of unknown. I think mm -hmm. that's worse than anything. And I think it's a really good practice to me. If I'm sitting in there and it's a long wait time, <coughs> it's more comforting to me to know because if I was the one in there, that means you're gonna spend a lot of time with me. So mm -hmm. take all the time you need. I think that's how it works. I think that's commendable for an office. So we have Nancy on the line for you. What's your question, Nancy? Yes, about a little over two months ago, I had cataract surgery on one of my eyes, and um, it's doing fine as, as far as I can tell. But during the process of the surgery, I 
had some hearing loss, and I was just curious if either of you have ever had a patient that experienced um, hearing loss during cataract surgery. Never. Got anything on that? That, you know, that's an interesting qu question. I've, I've never heard of it. I can't imagine a mechanism by which that would occur. Um, thinking about it, you know, just from a structural standpoint, from a neuroanatomy standpoint, I would say, you know, trying to answer the question in a vacuum, knowing no other details of the situation, I'd say look for another cause. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably coincidental that the two happened at the same time would be my guess. I mean, between the two of us, I think that we probably done maybe like um, 50,000 now. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty good sample size. I'm not saying it, it's impossible. You never know. But I can't imagine how that would be the case. I think it's unrelated. Yeah, because you have to look at okay, things like... Okay, well, I didn't know if, you know, like anesthesia or something like that may be involved, but... Um. Yeah, it, it's a, I agree with him. It, it's really, it, it's, a, it's an interesting question, and uh, I can't think of anything that would be uh, tied together as far as anatomically, especially with us doing cataract surgery. Um, you know, it, it may be completely coincidental. You know, I think the, the first uh, order of business would be to figure out what the, the hearing loss is secondary to. And then you can go from there and kind of work backwards. Okay. You know, if you hadn't seen one, if you were, if you were seeing me, I'd say see an ENT and try mm -hmm. to define the hearing loss yep. with, a, you know, with an audiologist also and, and probably have a low threshold to just MRI your brain in orbits and make sure that's normal too. I think that would be a good place to start. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, I did immediately go to an ENT and uh, had steroid shots in the ear was the first order of treatment, and um, it didn't, it wasn't any help, and um, so I'm, I was just trying to figure out, you know, what to do next, so, but thank you very much, that was what I needed to know. That, thanks for thank the call. Yeah, and, and good luck with that, Nancy. Yeah, definitely check that out. So, okay, 20 seconds, you want to tell us real quick the, your website? TheCataractSurgeons.com right. and my office number is 318-212-3937. And uh, I'm 212-5901. I'm at South and Dr. Shelby's at North and, and Piermont. All right. And thank you so much for joining us on Healthline 3. Everybody, Thanks. thank Merry you Christmas. so. Yeah. Merry Have Christmas. Have a Merry Christmas. Yeah. We'll see you next time right. on Healthline 3.